Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Hello, Tech fans, and welcome in to episode 136 of the Tech Sideline podcast, originating from TSL's High Tech Studios in the Virginia Tech Corporate Research Center. It has been a long six months for so many. Hokie sports were taken away from Tech fans. But today on the Tech Sideline Podcast, we get to break down something we can all rejoice in, a Hokies win. It all gets started right now. And we welcome you back into the Tech Sideline Podcast, whether you are watching archived on YouTube, listening on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Amazon Music, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or on Stitcher. So many great ways to consume the Tech Sideline Podcast. We are so glad that you could join us as we record on Monday morning, September 28th, following a Virginia Tech win against North Carolina State on Saturday. We've got our managing editor, Chris Coleman, our founder and general manager, Will Stewart. He is the best producer in the land, Malcolm Stewart, and I am your podcast host, Evan Hughes. Gentlemen, good morning. It's great to be back with you. The Hokies victorious. How does it feel to start your week off 1-0? and oh? feels good to be talking about an actual football game rather than just hypotheticals. Uh, I think everybody was getting sick and tired of doing that. There's only so much of that you can do. So thank goodness they were finally able to play. Yeah, the off season was almost a month longer than, than it usually is. And, and I remember, uh, I can't remember if I mentioned this on the podcast or on a radio show the other day. Um, I went to see uh, Virginia Tech basketball play in the ACC tournament. Um, and I think they shut things down the very next day. And that, that grind from when Tech basketball is over to when Tech football starts is difficult enough. We didn't even have spring sports to go through. And it was extended an extra three weeks, right? Mm-hmm. Arguably four. I mean, September 26th, maybe they would have started the season on August, very late August. It's just been a really, really long time, and I'm so glad it's over. And there's so many positives to talk about today. Yeah. And Virginia Tech's win over North Carolina State. That's what we're going to spend all of today's podcast talking about. We'll talk about the offense, the defense, who stepped up, both on the field and coaching for Virginia Tech. A lot to get into. Episode 136 of the Tech Sideline Podcast. It's brought to you this week and every week by the uh, by the Fisher Law Firm, Virginia's trusted DUI and traffic defense firm dedicated to defending individuals charged with traffic-related offenses. The Fisher Law Firm handles cases throughout the Commonwealth of Virginia. To date, the firm has defended tens of thousands of people charged with moving violations. For a free consultation, call anytime, day or evening, toll-free, 1-800-680-7031 is the number. That's 1-800-680-7031. Or you can email the Fisher Law Firm at info at fisherlegal.com. Well, I turn it over to you. A couple of housekeeping notes, and we start off by talking about masks on the podcast and you and Chris rocking grit masks. Those look 
exceptionally well. Rocking the grit mask, yes. So uh, we continue to get comments and questions on why we're wearing masks during the podcast. Uh, it's really simple. We are working in close quarters with a couple of students um, for 90 minutes, and it's actually closer to three hours because there's about an hour and a half of post-processing. And students have been told, you know, regardless of the other stuff, how it, it is said to be the right thing to do, it helps slow the spread of the uh, of the virus. Um, you know, regardless of where you stand on mask wearing and not wearing masks, Virginia Tech has said they want their students wearing masks when they are indoors for you know extended periods of time and so that's the biggest reason we're doing this because this is posted to youtube there's video evidence out there and uh you know so we feel it's the right thing to do and uh, we don't want our students we don't want evan and malcolm getting into trouble so uh, we continue to get the questions so that's that addressing that and of course today we are wearing the grit mask and we'll get to them in a little while and I also wanted to give a shout out to uh southeast regional training center for sponsoring the podcast southeastrtc.com and uh, also to Campus Emporium, we've got a very cool Tumblr that we'll be uh, featuring later on in the podcast. You know, we mentioned uh, Southeast Regional Training Center. Uh, quick note, Tony Roby getting a contract extension uh, yes. late last week. A big congratulations to Coach, who's uh, uh, been on the podcast set many of times. Yeah. Big congratulations to him and his family. Now, have they have they come out with a wrestling schedule yet? Have you caught any wrestling news? Um, I don't think they have. Uh, uh, they haven't come out with a men's basketball schedule yet. We know right. they're they're going to play like starting around November twenty fifth. November twenty fifth. They still, they still haven't released a schedule. Yeah. So let's just begin the podcast talking about this. Certainly, first game of the year, different for so many. No tailgating. Um, if you're in Blacksburg, you know, sticking with your pod is what you were told to do. Only a thousand fans in the stadium, and the four of us were in different places tailgating. So, actually, I want to start with uh, Malcolm real quick because Malcolm lives on Center Street, and there's a picture that uh, Barstool Virginia Tech put out there—a picture of the same camera angle, 2019 Center Street to 2020—and my goodness, <laughs> very different. So, Malcolm, from a student perspective, what was Center Street like on Saturday? Uh, it was sad, in a word. But it was mostly just police patrol. The one entrance on, I think it's Harrell Street, that gets you into center had six cop cars in it for however many hours students were potentially coming in. And it was just weird. It was quiet. It was just police and a couple of kids here and there. That, that was my whole day. Now, the, the, the students that actually live on Center Street and Warren Street and Harold Street and all that, were, were they in their yards tailgating, or was there anything going on at all? Uh, just a few. I mean, I was out in my yard, but there was one other place that I could hear, and that was it. Uh, uh, Chris, what did you do for the game? Uh, sat on my couch and watched it. Uh, it's now here's the real reason I picked NC State. The last two times I watched a Virginia Tech football game on my own couch in my own home was the second half of the 2019 UVA game and the 2010 Stanford Orange Bowl. For every other game, I've either, I've either been at the game at a bar. I, I like to I like to be around in a certain environment uh, when I watch games. I don't like to sit around on my couch by myself. I like to be out there around people and. In places where there's a lot of noise and things like that, that's just what I like. So, 
so for two decades, Virginia Tech <laughs> had a zero percent winning percentage when I watched the when game. Chris at home. was on his couch, uh, but but that, that snapped the streak. That streak's over. <laughs> and there was one person amongst the four of us who actually was in Lane Stadium on Saturday. That was Will Stewart. So Will, what was it like to be in Lane on Saturday? So I was in the uh, press corps in the press box for the first time since 2015. Uh, pretty sure my last. Uh, home game in in the lane stadium press box was frank beamer's last home game that, that they lost to unc um so i got the message and quit going to the press box haha <laughs> um i was in the box from 2012 to 2015 and uh um later on in today and in, in uh, the monday thoughts article i'm going to write today i'm going to post a picture of the seating chart for the press box and it you'll see how everybody is spaced out and there were only seats for 12 media members, and five of those were from uh, NC State. So there's about seven Virginia Tech media members, and one of them, Mike Barber, actually wasn't there. He was covering uh, UVA and Duke. Um, so, and the rest of it was like support personnel. So we were very spread out. So that is 11 media members. And the first game I ever worked was the 2012 Georgia Tech game. Uh, Labor Day night game, uh, Virginia Tech was coming off their second straight 11-win season and eighth straight 10-win season. Hokies were ranked, I think, 16th in the country, so it was a big deal. And Logan Thomas was coming off a great year, and it was his first game in his, in his second year as a starting quarterback. And that night, I remember the press box was packed. In the row in front of me, there were nine NFL scouts. And... I had Heather Dinich from ESPN was sitting next to me and then me, and I just counted up 11 people just just in that tiny little group. You know, the whole press box was full. And then the other night, there were just 11 of us total, you know. So it was a, it was a very different experience. One thing I thought was kind of strange driving in was that a lot of the cues, for lack of a better word, were the same. There were still police cars sitting out at the traffic circles, even though there was no traffic. There were still people, you know, letting, uh, sitting. $20 at the, for parking. There were still people <laughs> sitting at the entrance to all of the parking lots. You know, there were still support personnel wheeling around on the little carts. In in some ways, it was, it was almost staffed up like it usually is, except, of course, there was just nobody around. And the parking lots were, I'm not going to say completely empty. Honestly, I didn't spend a lot of time looking at them, but they were pretty empty. I almost walked up there. Like, I took my walk from my house all the way downtown. I walked by Tots, which at 4 or 4.30 in the afternoon was seemed pretty loud. So it'll be interesting to see if there's a spike in a couple of weeks. But, but anyway, uh, <laughs> so I thought about, like, walking all the way up to Lane Stadium, but, but I chose not to. Um I, I did. There was a woman drove by me, and she stopped, and she asked how to get to the football stadium. And uh, I'd just gone by Tots and had taken a left up towards Washington Street. And I said, just go up this road and then take a right, and, and you can't miss it. And uh, I'm guessing it was like a player's mom. Like, like the tags were from Florida. Uh, so it was either like a Tech player's mom or NC State's player's wow. mom. Yeah, they're the only people that could go to the game. Yeah, and, there uh, were no tickets it, sold to the public. Yeah. Um, so Clark Rulin got in. Somehow. Clark Rulin, of course, was going to get Clark Rulin was in the game. That, that's how I saw the video of Inner Sandman, because he put it on Twitter, and it was sad. Yeah, yeah. well, that was going to be my next question for you. What was the Inner Sandman experience like? 
Well, you're insulated up there in the press box. So there, the the you can't. I don't know if you can even open the windows or not, but they don't open them. So the so the sound is always deadened. But uh, I actually went down to the end of the press box and set my phone up, and I took a video. It's a two minute video of. It's the end of the Let's Go Hokies chant, and then up until, you know, after the players are, are well out onto the field. So I posted that to our YouTube channel, uh, Tech Sideline YouTube channel. It's about a two-minute-long video of uh, Enter Sandman, Virginia Tech versus NC State, September 26, 2020. And, um, you know, I, 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 what can you say? <laughs> um, it's It was weird seeing just a few people hopping up, and there was no uh, – uh, channel of, of of core members and um, cheerleaders and things to run through now the players when they come out of there they always go all the way down to the far south end zone and some of them uh, kneel in a, in a moment of prayer I'd say half the uh, Virginia Tech players do that and it's done in front of the core of course the core wasn't there you know so uh, it was all odd um, but but a lot of the stuff a lot of the other stuff was the same. They are they're running the game day operation as, as similar as they can to how they usually run it. So despite 23 players being unavailable to play, mm-hmm. two full-time coaches being unavailable to coach, including first-year defensive coordinator Justin Hamilton, no Hendon Hooker, limited practices for the last couple of weeks, Chris Coleman, how would you describe the 45-24 win for the Hokies over the Wolfpack. As good as you could possibly expect, uh, especially when you lose your defensive coordinator the morning of the game, right? And I would say Ryan Smith, who did a great job, is not the second, not normally the second-string defensive coordinator. I can't talk with any mask on, apparently. <laughs> yes. uh, I would say normally that would be Tracy Clay's. But Tracy Clays was out. Yeah, and he's got 10 I, years' experience as exactly. a defense coordinator. Um, and I would even say maybe Tierlink would be your normal number three, but Tierlink missed all week of practice. He was out all week, so he did not get to go to practice at all and interact with the players in person all week. Uh, so I don't think he made it back till game day, basically. So it's kind of hard to give the defensive coordinator job to somebody who hasn't been in practice all week. So kind of by, by default, it fell to Ryan Smith. So when you consider all of that, it was really impressive. Uh, I was mainly concerned, like, I didn't, we didn't know who was going to be out and who wasn't and everything like that. Uh, my biggest concern was how much practice time everybody had had, the guys who did play. Um, and Virginia Tech rotated a lot of players as a result. They played 19 different players on offense and I think 26 or so different players on defense, mm-hmm. which is a lot. And, uh, I mean, they were even playing, like, walk-on Max Philpot at defensive tackle, like, in the first quarter. Mm-hmm. And that, that's, that's not something you would normally do. So um, they were very concerned about conditioning. Fuente said on, the ra- on his radio show after the game, he was like, you know, we're up 17 nothing, and I felt awful because I looked on the field and all our guys looked gassed. Yeah. Uh, which was accurate because we did kind of go into a lull at, at that point. Um, I, I think I, when I was on my walk on Saturday, I, I was I was thinking, like, if COVID, coronavirus didn't exist and bo- I knew both teams were at full strength and had practiced all month, et cetera, what score would I pick? And I settled, settled on Tech 38, NC State 17, because I think Tech I thought Tech was much better than NC State 
But the reason I picked NC State was because Tech wasn't able to practice, really. But as it turned out, even a 38-17 pick wouldn't have done Tech justice. I mean, Tech is probably Tech looked like they were 30 or 40 points better than NC State if, if everything had been equal, if, if Tech had been able to practice effectively and they had all their guys. Now, NC State was missing some guys on defense, too. Yeah, Peyton Wilson was out. Uh, Engel, one of the starting safeties, was out. So it goes both ways. Yeah. Um, I don't know. A lot went through my head while he was talking. Uh, Fuente. So, so let let's start with this. Uh, Fuente did address in his post game comments the the uh, potential for fatigue pretty quickly, and he was on top of that. He was, you know, as Chris talked about, he was rotating guys in, and he was very sensitive to that. And one of the things that fans need to understand is, and and I I learned this at the 2017 uh, FedEx game against WVU. That was the first game of the year. Now, granted, WVU was it was a fast-moving offense. So but, was NC State. They, uh, well, they tried to. Yeah, you know, <laughs> but after that 2017 game against WVU, at the end, the Hokies were gassed. And yeah. remember, they had a lot of good defensive players. That Ju- J- Justin Fuente was asked by Burnup after the game on the radio show. Uh, always listen to the radio show instead of his regular press conferences, by the way. Yeah. And uh, Fuente said it reminded him of the West Virginia game. As far as fatigue goes, yeah. So, yeah. so the so the guys at the end of that, you go you go back and watch the end of that game. Virginia Tech was lucky WVU didn't score at the end. You could just tell VT's defense was gassed, and so it started this whole discussion of, "Come on, guys, you've had all summer to get in shape." And and the point was brought up, and I, I don't remember who did the game for ESPN or ABC or whatever, but they made the point that football shape is is different. You can run. All the stadium steps you want to run, but playing is different, and you have to get in that shape. Mm-hmm. And so uh, there, there wasn't, you know, you talk. So the question comes up: Oh, I know the guys weren't practicing, but couldn't they have worked out? You just, you just cannot. There's nothing yeah, you, like you it. can't do it. Yeah. So, you know, when I was prepping for this, there are so many different directions I feel like we could have gone with to start this game. Yeah. Uh, so let let me let me ask a generic question here. The one storyline from this game was what for you, Chris, and then we'll get to Will. Certainly the performance of the offensive line. Um, We knew they were going to be better. We didn't know exactly how much better. You know, they blocked well from a running game standpoint at the end of last year. I mean, they ran all over Kentucky, about 250 yards or thereabouts. Um, Very, very impressive performance in that game. But when they blocked Kentucky, it was more about – spacing and and leverage and just kind of getting in Kentucky's way. This was that, but they also just brutally drove NC State off the ball. They were just stronger than NC State. And I go back to what I've been saying all offseason is, you know, Virginia Tech was starting those three freshmen next to each other on the offensive line, and it is not fair to expect freshmen offensive linemen to compete physically with junior and senior and even like redshirt sophomore defensive linemen at the college level they're just not going to have the strength to drive them off the ball these are still 18 year olds man they haven't had the opportunity in the weight room uh you know we saw doug nestor i mean (laughs) that 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 was that was that was the doug nestor that that was committed to ohio state at some point right (laughs) big difference between 18 year old doug nestor and now grown man doug nestor Uh, i can't remember Uh, what it's one of the touchdown runs i can't remember if it's quincy late in the game or raheem blackshear 
just just watch what Doug Nestor yeah. does does to uh, does to number twelve for NC State. I don't know his name, but number twelve had had enough of Quincy Patterson running over him and, and Doug. So Doug Nestor pancakes him into the end zone, and, and Brock Hoffman talked after the game about trying to instill you know not just competence in the offensive line but an attitude a nastiness. And so Nestor puts number twelve on his can and then walks towards him and lets him know about it. And um, I'm an old school guy. I'm not a not a big fan of trash talk, but I've gotten, you know, you like to see that edge. Um, you know mm-hmm. that 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 there's no way to describe that. That was nasty. So what Chris is addressing is there was a lot of one on one physical dominance in that game by the right. offensive line, right? As opposed to oh, really, really good play call that helped put the hey, offense. I got in this guy's way that's, and that's he a, didn't make the tackle. Cornelson did a great job last year hiding the fact that his offensive line had three freshmen starting next yeah, to each other. Yeah. There's only it's really tough to scheme around, and he was able to do it. You, you, you don't have to do it as much this year. You know, Hoffman was is a guy. You know, he said Hoffman said last week that him not even, not getting cleared by the NCAA last year was a blessing in disguise, and he's absolutely right because he got the red shirt. And I, I, let me give you an example of of the difference between a red shirt year and a normal year if you're practicing and, and you're playing. Fridays is basically a walkthrough. Right, so you don't even really need the scout team guys. Really, you're you're redshirting guys. Like you you know you're not playing in a football game the next day, so you can have a really hardcore weightlifting session on Friday, and you don't have to worry about recovery for the next day. Yeah. Right, so you can really your redshirt year is when you make the most progress in the weight room because you can lift weights more. Um, and Hoffman got that opportunity because he got thrown into the fire at Coastal Carolina as a true freshman. Yeah, that's true. Never got the red shirt there. Um, so I think he really learned the the benefit of, of that red shirt year, and it, and it's huge. Um, I don't mean to derail the conversation into a red shirt year again, but or but you know Hoffman got to sit out last year. Everybody's a year stronger. Everybody's a year more experienced. It's just uh, so it's it's night and day, and I'm not saying they're going to rush for 314 yards every game, but the it wasn't the fact that they rushed for 314 against NC State; it was how they blocked. They were just physically dominant. Like it wasn't necessarily like against Kentucky; it was scheme and play calling, yeah. and this was just about like 1996 style Virginia Tech football, just mauling them off the ball. Will, what was if you had to pick one storyline from this game? What would you go with? Well, once you get beyond the offensive line, it's the depth at quarterback that that Virginia Tech had, and, and NC State didn't have it available to them. Um, who's who's the what's the name of the the back? Not the backup. He's supposed to be their starter. The quarterback who came in uh, like midway through the third quarter. Devin Leary. Leary. Devin Devin Leary. So Devin Leary's supposed to be their starter. He had coronavirus issues, probably contact tracing. So, uh, um, <laughs> the. Who's the guy? Start Brockman, Bailey Hockman, Bailey Hockman. All I could think was Brock Hoffman because we were just very close. So, so, <laughs> so Bailey Hockman, he wasn't good. You know, oh. he, he's he's technically their backup, and he was not good, and and made a couple of really horrendous plays. The interception by uh, Devon Diablo was a great play by him, but the interception by Brian Murray was just a terrible play. You know, and and. So Virginia Tech didn't have to go to to a Hockman. They they got to go to a Burmeister and then to a Quincy Patterson when they needed him. And as I've <clears throat> said uh, many times, and, and Chris had the, had the pointed it out to me first, this Virginia Tech coaching staff is very good at putting their quarterbacks in a, in a position to succeed. 
quarterbacks, with the exception of Ryan Willis early last year, quarterbacks under Justin Fuente and Bard Cornelson don't throw a lot of picks. They are not put in situations where they, they won't succeed. Now, to be fair, let, let's, let's get down into Quincy Patterson. I thought one of the big points of the game was when NC State had just crammed it down Virginia Tech's throat to close it to 17-7, State finally got a clue and just lined up, double-teamed the defensive tackles and just drove down the field with the running game, which is the strength of our offense. So they make it 17-7, and you're kind of going, huh. And at that point, Burmeister was out with that bizarre hand cramp, <laughs> and Quincy had played a series, at least one series, a lot of handing off. So they come in at 17-7, and they start letting him throw the ball around a little bit, and he completes, I think, three passes, including the touchdown to, uh, was it Tavion Robinson that caught the first one, I think? Yes. Yeah, thanks. Um it included, if I remember correctly, a great catch by Caleb Smith mm-hmm. on third and 11. It's a horrific um, catch. You know, uh, Mitchell, uh, Mitchell had a big one on third and 12. Yep. Mitchell had a big one downfield, and then Tavion fought off the defender. The point I'm making is they weren't well-thrown balls. They were, um, in, in two cases, the Mitchell and Robinson case, they were thrown into coverage, uh, you know, throw it up and let the wide receiver go get it. Right. Um, so... I thought that was just a critical point in the game. It put Virginia Tech back up 24-7, to you know, and, and Quincy should be given a lot of credit, but his wide receivers should also be given a lot of credit. I thought, plays. Uh, and it, well, that goes back to the running game. I mean, there's no reason to play single yeah. coverage when yeah. Quincy Patterson's at quarterback because at this point he's going to struggle to process and read zone coverages. Playing single coverage across the board just gives him easy reads. It makes his job so much easier. Um so on that third and 12, when they completed it to Mitchell, you know, you, you could see what was coming. NC State was in single coverage, and I'm like, at least one of those receivers on the left-hand side is going deep. So was Mitchell out? I guess he was out wide on that, right? Uh, he was the inside receiver. The, I think the outside receiver came in, and Mitchell was the slot guy, and he went okay. out and up. Yeah. Um, but if that was – I understand why NC State did it. I mean, Virginia Tech was just bludgeoning them with the running game, and you have to get an extra um, – Dor, uh, Dave Doran talked about it after the game about getting an extra safety in the box. And, yeah. of course, that forced them into man coverage. Now, when they didn't need to do it, was it was that third and 12 pass to Mitchell. There's no reason to be single coverage, extra guy in the box there, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, you just take your chances and assume Quincy Patterson not going to rush for 12 yards, uh, and you play and you zone it up on that play. So I thought that was a bad call by NC State. But other than that, it was the success of Virginia Tech's running game that helped put Quincy in in, in a position in a more favorable favorable position. So you went with the offensive line for the story, with the quarterback depth, mm-hmm. and I'll go back to a point that we just brought up. I'm going to go with the fact that again. Ryan Smith as the interim defensive coordinator for the game, given the fact that you've got a year of transition, you've got a new so, a couple of new schemes, no Tracy Clays, no Jack Tyler. Can you imagine what was going through his mind coming from we talked about it last week, right? Coming from JMU, you're thinking you're gonna coach two of the top cornerbacks in the entire country. Okay, then that changes. Uh, Waller did not play. We'll talk about that in just a minute, all the players that tech were missing. And I thought that he called an exceptional game. Yeah, he did did well. Um, Assuming he was the one calling it, you know. I mean, um, I don't know that Fuente addressed it uh, directly in his comments to the media. Oh, he called it. Yeah, okay. I so, mean, he, so he was calling. Well, there, if you're going to name somebody defensive coordinator, there's 
on the day of the game, there's nothing else for that guy now, to was do. He, because, was he on the sidelines or in the booth? Uh, he would have been on – I'm pretty sure he was on the sideline. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I know he was on the sideline. I mean, there was nobody else to call it. I mean, the job of the defensive coordinator is to do be the main guy in the game plan throughout the week and then call the plays on game day. So the game plan was already done. So, so, so you're right. Um, he definitely called him. Yeah. So Hamilton could have – called in strategy during timeouts but as far as play calls go i remember on the acc network broadcast at one point they were talking about tech showing a a certain type of defense before the snap and then backing out of it and that's a defense coordinator actively telling the defense what to do right right yeah yeah, yeah. i mean that that's a that's an in-game adjustment and things like that uh, just, it's the, and, yeah. and you know you feel too for for justin hamilton right you've got your oh, whole off season and then to have that happen you're supposed to make your debut you're taking over for the guy that yeah. you played for so now you get that asterisk where that well they'll they'll be talking years let's let's say justin hamilton has a good career you know and and, and he's at virginia tech five ten fifteen years or someone else and they'll be talking about what defenses have done under him as defensive coordinator the 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 announcers, if they're doing their due diligence when they're saying the numbers of number of games he's been the defensive coordinator, they'll have to subtract this one, and they may even have to subtract next week. I think he's going to be out next week as well. Yeah, uh, the, for, the, for the long-term trivia question for Virginia Tech fans, you know, 20 years from now, the trivia question will be, who was defensive coordinator in the first game after Bud Foster retired? That'll and be the people, AFLAC trivia question. Pe- and, people are uh, going to say Justin Hamilton, and then they remember, oh, wait, no, he had COVID. And it was Ryan Smith, it was Ryan which, Smith. by the way, Hamilton tested positive on – he tested on Friday. It was the Friday they got, test. They got their results back at, like – Fuente said – he said this on his radio show. He said he went to bed on Friday night, and he slept in till 6 a.m., the way he described it. Yeah. And he said – he said that was the best night of sleep he had gotten in months. In a while. Because I guess because at that point he figured, oh, we've cleared everything. All I have to do is worry about football now. And he's a straight-up football guy, right? So he gets up at 6 o'clock, looks at his phone, and saw that he got a text at one twenty saying, you know, J-Ham tested positive and he's out. And he's like, oh, are you kidding you me? you got to get up and deal with that. Yeah, exactly. Um, just strange, strange situation. And, and quickly, again, we've got a lot to get into the game, but there was so much that happened before the game and all of this. I think it's worth unpacking. You think about who he had available to practice with this week, player-wise, but his coaching, uh, his coaching staff. How much credit does Justin Fuente deserve for this win and the job he was able to do, given all of these unique circumstances? Well, I said, uh, I think I may have said it on the podcast. I think I said it in our game preview. If, if, if Virginia Tech wins this game, then it'll be one of the better coaching jobs of of his career of his career at Tech. And I stand by that, you know, the, the, this may seem obvious to some people, but some coaches could have been really bullheaded about it. He was very sensitive to the fatigue factor, and I thought he played that portion of, of the strategy very well. Now, his players helped him out by executing and jumping up to a 17-0 lead. I mean, from that point on, this game was 28-24. Getting that early lead was critical so you can – you can continue to rotate guys, you know, and, and there, there were there were a couple of defensive possessions where they just rotated guys in, and I'm not going to say they let NC State do what they were doing, but they kind of had no choice. Mm-hmm. They had to keep guys fresh. So I think I think a lot of coaches can be bullheaded. I think a lot of coaches would have been bullheaded. I'm throwing my starters out there, and they're going to have to win it for me. I don't care. But I thought that was really smart on his part. He said in, in one of their scrimmages, they intentionally – 
took coordinators out during the middle of the scrimmage and just threw somebody else in there to call plays during the middle of the scrimmage. Smart. You know, it's he's very, very good at, like, preparing for scenarios. Yeah. All the guy does is think about football. Yeah. So you, you would, that that's a situation you would expect him to be good in. And, you know, I do think it's a, a situation he certainly excels in. So, yeah, I thought that was a big-time win. And the thing about – think about it is you know there's going to be some different challenges this week um with justin hamilton i think this is the point i was trying to get to earlier and i lost it in my head hamilton tested positive on friday so that's 10 days mm-hmm. that means he's not coordinator for the duke game yeah. right it means he's not at practice all week uh now he can watch practice film he can get on zoom and help with the game plan and everything like that but the bottom line is he's not going to be in practice with those players interact coaching them after specific plays like you run a play in practice and you immediately go talk to your safety to tell him oh here here's what you did wrong or great job here's what you did right blah 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 it's just there's only so much you can do on Zoom sitting in, yeah, your, sure. sitting in your living room, right? I, so he's not going to be your defensive coordinator next week, but he can be actively involved in game planning. But if Ryan Smith is your defensive coordinator again, I don't we don't know when Clays will be back either, yeah. right? So if Ryan Smith's your defensive coordinator again, that means he does take a more active role in game planning this week than he did last week. Yeah. So different week, different challenge, right? Uh, so just about an hour before kickoff or so, it's announced that Virginia Tech won't have 23 players available. Will, you tweeted it out. Uh, who on offense and their number, their last name, who on defense. Now, now I only tweeted out, I think, the scholarship guys. I left off some, some walk-ons. Good point. And there were a couple of names of note, you know, Wheatley, King, Janzy, Jackson. Um, then on the defensive side of the ball, really Jermaine Waller was one of the yeah. big ones. But no Jermaine Waller no Hendon Hooker. When you saw those names, were you more concerned about not having Hendon Hooker uh, as the quarterback or not having Jermaine Waller in the secondary? You know, there were no real surprises on that list. Uh, we, we knew Hendon Hooker wasn't going to play, and we've been hearing that Waller's having foot issues. By the way, when they gave us this list, they said this is um, not just necessarily COVID-related. These are all reasons these are the guys, the guys who won't be playing. So I'm, I'm, I'm not surprised, you know, and, and we get back to this whole depth chart discussion. I think Waller was listed first on the depth chart. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't, I don't know what that depth chart means. doesn't really mean a whole lot. Um, so I wasn't surprised by that, wasn't surprised by Hooker. And the other guys were depth guys. The one that I didn't see coming was Oscar Shadley, the long snapper. Yeah. And, and you know, I, I made the point to somebody in the press box, Austin P basically lost their opening game this year because they didn't have their long snapper. Um, so... Uh, you know, um, I wasn't real. Uh, you got to be concerned when you've already lost Caleb Farley to opting out, and now Waller's not on the field. Uh, so, you know, I, I don't even remember the original question, but none of that was a real surprise to me. Well, yeah, it, it was not really a concern. But it was a concern, but they knew for a long, long, long time that Jermaine Waller wasn't playing in this football game. Yeah. So it's not like if they got surprised the morning of the game or like, oh, dang, Waller tested positive. Yeah. He's been hurt all preseason. They knew they knew Armani Chapman was going to start there. They knew Breon Murray was going to start there. So they had all that time, however many practices those two guys were available. You know, they, they had time to prepare those guys. It wasn't a last-minute thing. By the way, I hope Breon Murray's getting teased during film review about letting uh, Hawkman tackle him on that intersection. Oh, Fuente uh, made fun of him. After <laughs> he did some little stutter steps. I think if he would have cut back, I think Hockman would have fallen down and it would have been a touchdown. 
So there's one name that we have not talked about yet, and he's going to get a lot of airtime here the remainder of the podcast, and that's Braxton Burmeister. It was the Braxton Burmeister show. We knew that he was going to play. Justin Fuente announced Hooker as the starter earlier, but he said that Braxton Burmeister would play, and, well, he certainly showed why uh, he was announced as someone who would get action. 7-11 through the air, 106 yards, a long of 46, and then on the ground, nine carries for 67 yards, uh, and uh, just... You know, he had a big part in the running game, too, you know, uh, picking up 314 yards as a team on the ground. So good in the running game. Well, I'll ask you this. Yeah. On a scale of 1 to 10, given all the circumstances, 10 being great, how good was Braxton Burmeister in his tech debut? He he was very good. Uh, you know, something that, that often gets discounted by the casual fan is game management. You know, are, are the plays getting in? Are, are, are you getting plays from the sideline? Are you managing the huddle? Are you getting the snap off, you know? Um, and, and he did all of that well. And I, I thought, Chris, I thought he was exactly what we were led to believe he was. Mm-hmm. He was very good in the running game. He was solid in the passing game. And again, they did not give him a lot of stuff. They didn't really challenge him with the passing game. I, and, and the, but the one, Maybe exceptional pass that I remember is the pass down the middle to James Mitchell. Oh, see, it, that it was, was a, it was a little high. Good catch. Yeah, but he got a negative grade for that. You know why? Because Eric Gallo, Gallo was wide, wide open. open. They were both open, but Gallo was on the outside, and there was no safety out there. If he thrown it to Walking Gallo, it would have been a touchdown. No, oh, that's subtle. So, see, I missed that. Yeah. Um, um, I I, I got to admit, I didn't really sit and watch the broadcast of the uh, DVR copy of the game. Um, but overall, he was he was I think exactly what we were told he'd be, and. Uh, you know, if, if that's a guy that starts for you all season long, I think that can make that work. Especially if the offensive line keeps keeps Wolf. mauling people, right? Oh. That makes everybody's job so much easier. Oh. Uh, yeah, I was impressed with him. I mean, we heard he was the fastest, quickest quarterback on the roster, and that's certainly true. Yeah, he did. He did get caught from behind uh, once, got sacked. Um, but uh, man, man, overall on, on a on a on a one to ten, I'd, I'd give that an eight. You know? Yeah, I, I would best say about a seven and a half, eight, yeah. something like that. I was pleased. Um, it's tough to really judge either guy because you know Braxton got hurt and came out, and then Quincy came in, and then Braxton finally got over his hand cramp, which I've never even heard of a hand cramp before. Yeah. I've been I've been either playing or watching or covering football for over 25 years and i don't think i've ever seen anybody get a hand cramp well, before i, I can't we'll even talk imagine. about that in just a moment because there was an unsung hero called mustard which we'll get <laughs> in just a little bit but i think burmeister really contributed to that quick start on offense yeah. it felt like uh, in the blink of an eye virginia tech's up 17 nothing midway yeah. through the first quarter so how pleasantly surprised were you that everything was clicking as well as it was, especially on that opening drive, Chris? It felt like they were getting chunk plays, play in and play out, moving the sticks every play. I don't think, you know, I know Justin Fuente said it multiple times. He's our fastest quarterback. Uh, and even, even Hendon Hooker said, like, that dude's a playmaker. Hmm. But I don't. you can't really appreciate it unless you see it. And I, I know, I'm sure NC State went back and watched him a bit at Oregon and looked at his high school film, but – I don't think anybody quite realized he was as fast as he was. So I'm sure that was a shock to NC State. I certainly think it was. And it contributed to chunk plays in the running game. And speaking of chunk plays in the running game, that gives me a chance to, to talk about this. Um, Virginia Tech ran for 314 yards. Um, let's say your goal was to rush for 200 yards every game and average five yards a carry while doing so. So that means 40 carries, you got to get to 200 yards. Well, it's unrealistic to expect 
your team to gain exactly five yards every play, right? And I've been preaching the last few years, you know, Virginia Tech's running backs weren't breaking any tackles. and Weren't making people miss. They weren't making people miss and extending plays and things like that. You can't have a consistent running game without chunk yardage. And Virginia Tech did a better job of that last year, but when Tech got Herbert, I was really excited because I went back and watched his tape and when he rushed for 200 yards or whatever against Boston College last year, it was chunk yardage, chunk yardage after chunk yardage, and that's it was the same thing the other night. So Virginia Tech is now seventh nationally in runs of 20 plus yards. They're fifth nationally in runs of 30 plus yards, and they've played one game. Everybody ahead of them in the rankings has played two to four games. Two, that's two, insane. Two three, yeah. I mean, so. The chunk yardage to me, and Burmeister was a part of this because he had his own share of, of, of big runs in this in this game. The chunk yardage is critical. I mean, you can never rush for 314 yards without chunk yardage. Oh, yeah. Real quick, let me give the numbers because uh, we were about to transition into it. So many people contributed to 314 yards mm-hmm. on the ground. Khalil Herbert, six carries. Six. <laughs> six. 104 <laughs> yards and a touchdown, a long of 31. Uh, Trey Turner, two carries for 53 yards. A big jet sweep. Quincy Patterson, 10 carries for 47 yards and a touchdown on the ground. Burmeister, nine carries, 60, 46 yards. Jalen Holston, five carries, 42 yards. And Raheem Blackshear, eight touches for 28 yards. All that mm-hmm. adds up to 314 yards now, now on the ground. Let's address, I want to address the, the breakdown of the carries. Um, Fuentes, uh, first of all, Around about the time the UVA game got postponed, we heard that Virginia Tech only had three scholarship running backs available Available. to practice, two of which were true freshmen. Fuente was talking about Herbert after the game on the radio show, and he said he has not practiced very much recently. And we can tell you that Raheem Blackshear didn't come back to practice until until Friday. Friday. So he didn't – and Friday's practice is just like a walkthrough, basically. Yeah, yeah. So if you're wondering why – None of those guys got more than six or eight carries. It's because none of them hardly practiced recently, and they just and you're running back. You're going to get hit, man. You're going to get tackled, and you want to make sure you don't get a guy hurt because you give him too many carries when he hasn't been practicing the previous two weeks, right? Um, so when you consider that none of the Tech's top running backs hadn't even been able to practice recently, what that running game did the other night is even more impressive. And uh, no turnovers. Mm-hmm. The only fumble I remember is the muffed punt by Tavion Robinson. Um, and, and Dorian Strong helped him out there and covered it. Uh, no interceptions. I don't, you know. None. Quincy yeah. threw into coverage a few times. but and, and, Evan, do you have the stats for the game up there? How many penalties did Virginia Tech have? As a team, let's see. Miscellaneous. I will try and find it in just a moment. You can do a control F. On control penalties. F penalties. Yeah. Penalties. Let's <laughs> there see. You go. Uh, passing. Let's see. I'm reading the box score wrong. Let me. Uh, <laughs> let me trans. How about this? I'm going to feed you a question and then I'm going to look up it. You know, so you I don't, can, you don't usually great, make rookie right mistakes, man. I, that's, I, that's I will say I was right on the individual. I need to find now, out. I will, I will say that the format for the box scores is a little. I, I, okay, I can. I can. I can give us some more while you look it up, Evan. Okay. <laughs> so key guys in Virginia Tech's rushing attack the other night and their recruiting ranking. Oh, okay. This okay. is fine. This is good. Khalil Herbert, and I'm. I'm, I'm sure people are out there saying. 
my God, why didn't we recruit that guy out of high school? You know, right? Well, he his recruiting ranking out of high school was two thousand one hundred and seventeen. Our fan base would be pissed if we had if we had recruited uh, Khalil Herbert out of high school. They would say he wasn't good enough. Right. Um, Raheem Blackshear. It's recruiting ranking one one thousand four hundred eighty nine. Right, a lower level three star recruit. Brock Hoffman's rating out of high school, he was the number three thousand nine hundred seventy seven player in the country. See, that's just stupid. All right, it's it's stupid for a lot of reasons. Why the hell would you rank? Excuse me. Why the heck would you rank <laughs> three thousand nine hundred seventy seven high school players? Like once you get like the first past the first thousand what, really, what's the difference <laughs> i mean how can you tell yeah they, they, they just used to call those guys one stars and two stars right. and leave it at that at any rate so that's three key guys involved in the running game that nobody wanted out of high school yeah yeah and we would have we have a lot of fans who would have been angry if virginia tech had signed those guys out of high school right and here they are now our best players so i'm not saying not to worry about recruiting i'm saying don't let it keep you up nights uh, and also, also, I'll say Justice Reed, two sacks. He was the number 799 recruit in the country. So he, See, was he a, actually went to Florida. To he did. Right, well, he was a, but he was a, for Florida, he was a low level recruit. Yeah, he, he was a three star that, 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 guy. That's a mid level three star guy, too. Yeah. So that's, that's like, that would, he would have been like, Probably so, Florida's like lowest. Are we going to talk about Justice Reed later? I, yes, okay. of course. We're okay. going to get the defensive side of the ball. But we, have, but, we but we have penalties. penalties. We do. We uh, we do have penalties, which were not many, by the way. Five penalties for forty yards. You know, and I think a lot of those came like in the fourth quarter too. Uh, like I don't th- I don't remember Virginia Tech having maybe like one penalty in the first half. You know, and uh, <laughs> so they didn't turn the ball over. Um, they uh, didn't commit a lot of penalties. You just didn't see a lot of misfires. The, the the one critical penalty was when Tech was up seventeen to nothing, and they got a punt return out to about the fifty yard line, yeah. and Breon Murray got a taunting penalty, mm-hmm. which pushed the Hokies back. And on the very next play, Burmeister got sacked and got the hand cramp, and the Hokies ended up punting from their own end zone, and gave the ball to NC State at the fifty. And that's when NC State scored their first touchdown on a short field. And yeah. you can trace it all the way back to Breon Murray's penalty. And that might have been Tech's only penalty of the first half. And, and that was a 15-yard penalty. So the, right, right. the other four were for like 25 Right, right exactly. So the, the, the others weren't, oh, were not one, critical. One of them was, I think, a BS holding call on Hoffman. Um, he had he had the hands inside, and then he pancaked the guy. And, and watching it on replay, I, I actually went on Twitter, and I'm like, did anybody actually see that holding? No, I will say uh, the 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 bit that I, I did, I had my attention half on the the game as I watched it on DVR. Full disclosure, I was actually painting my kitchen yesterday. I had the television on replaying the game, so I would look at it at times. And I believe it's Raheem Blackshear's uh, touchdown. You go back and watch that. And uh, who's the left tackle? Uh, um, Darisaw. Who's who's le- who was left guard? Lucita Smith. Smith. It wasn't either one of those two guys. Something tells me it was Nestor. But you go back and you watch that touchdown. And number 39 for NC State, he is being grabbed and held. And it's in my notes somewhere exactly who was doing it. I don't recall. But but he gave it the old hands up just looking at the ref like, you see what's going on here? I can't move. And Ben Blackshear runs right by him. So 
when you talk about nastiness on the offensive line, it's it's a lot of that too. You know, are are you burying guys? Are you talking smack to them? Are you are you stepping right up to that line where you're holding them? You know, and how in the world did I get on this? You think tangent? the offensive line had a lot of grit on Saturday? Bum bum bum. We are about to do a grit promo. Do I need to put the hat on? Let's put the hat on. So Will and Chris are wearing grit masks today. We've got two grit hats on the set. I'll throw one on with Will. Grit, a proud uh, partner and sponsor here with uh, Tech Sideline. I'll tell you what I'll do. Um, um, this is this is uh, YouTube 101. I, I forgot to do this for some reason. In the uh, description of the video, when, when we post this podcast to YouTube later, I will put the link to buy the grit hats. And, of course, you can find it on the Tech Sideline site. The more menu, our sponsors. And uh, we'll also put the uh, Campus Emporium link down there. So we'll put sponsor links down in the uh, uh, in the uh, description of the YouTube video. That's the way it should be done. So There was certainly a lot of grit on Saturday across the boards. <laughs> nice segue uh, as usual. Uh, let's finish up with the offense here, and then we got to take a break. We'll come back. Believe me, there's a lot to talk about the defense too. Um, I want to finish up with the quarterbacks real quick, though. Uh, we're going to talk about Braxton Burmeister real quick and Mustard, and then we'll speak about Quincy Patterson a little bit more. First of all, so Burmeister gets a hand cramp. He's on the sideline for a couple of drives, and then it was reported that his mom, again, this is just 2020, right? I mean, right. that you can just walk down to the bench, essentially, yeah, and gave him packs of mustard mm-hmm. to get him back on the field. So I'm so I'm sitting in the press box and he's saying that in the post game interviews now now Burmeister, uh, I think they brought four guys out to talk to us and two of them are really good. Justice Reed was a pretty good interview. Eh. Um, uh, Devon Diablo is a good interview. Brock Hoffman's a great interview. Um, Justice Reed and, and Burmeister were kind of kind of cliche machines, but Burmeister uh, did start talking about the mustard and kind of kind of laughed. And uh, so we're all in the press box going mustard. Apparently that's a thing. You know, he chuckled and said, yeah, there's a lot of salt in it. So I put that out on Twitter and it leads to this string of responses like, oh, yeah, the mustard is a thing to prevent cramps. Also, pickle juices. Do you know that if you uh, drink pickle juice? From you know, I think my dad used to drink pickle juice. He, as he, when he got older, he would have, he would have cramping issues. And I think pickle juice uh, was something. Bananas. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, th- I think everybody uh, knows bananas. Yeah. Though. I eat a banana, like, especially when I do leg day. I, a lot of times, I will catch a cramp in my sleep, and it'll wake me up. Oh, it's yeah. It's horrible, yeah, like, like a calf cramp. So I'll eat a banana before I go to bed yeah. every night. So anyways, oh. Mustard, the unsung hero. <laughs> he got it from his mom. Well, a friend of mine met his mom on, on Saturday, mm-hmm. and he said she is Cali tan and, and Cali cool. Yeah. <laughs> and she carries mustard. <laughs> yep, yep. <laughs> I hope that that will always be associated with him somehow for the rest of his tech career. Mustard, you know, oh, signs the, come the back. puns, you know. Did you see the mustard on that yes. throw? And, yeah. you know, <laughs> All right, so last thing, and then we're going to transition and take a break. I want to wrap up with Quincy Patterson because we talked a lot in the last couple of podcasts, of course, about Hennon Hooker and Braxton Burmeister. And I think it was Chris who even said how important it is in the 2020 world to have three quarterbacks who can go out there and play. Four of six to the air, 75 yards, two touchdowns. I feel like he was another one of those unsung heroes because if Quincy wasn't out there moving the ball as well as Tech did when he was out there, who knows how that game would have gone at that point in the first half. At one point, he was 4-4 four four for 75 yards and two touchdowns, and his passer rating was 422 points. <laughs> That's good. You know, hot tip, that would have been ahead of Joe Burrow last year. Yeah. Um, so uh, Quincy said after the game um, – you know, I had a chance to ask Fuente. I was like, you know, you, you let him sling it around a little bit. You just didn't limit him to the running game. And, and Fuente said that, uh, 
Quincy really handled uh, being the third guy on the depth chart. Fuente said, I told him, it's not anything you're doing wrong. You're doing everything right. You know, this is just where you are in your development, as Chris and I keep saying, you know. And uh, But Quincy himself said uh, that I believe the phrase he used last year in the UNC game, heart pounding. But this time around, he said, you know, I, I was I was calm. I, I, I was prepared. And so he is developing at the rate he should be developing. You know, Quincy Patterson is right where he needs to be. And, and I'm glad he got the play in time. In. Yeah, like Burmeister did not have a great career at Oregon when he was the starter, right? As a freshman. As a true freshman. Yeah. What, what do you expect when you throw young kids into the fire like that? I mean, everybody develops at a different rate. Right. I mean, some guys are ready right off the bus and some guys, it takes them a few years. Uh, That's twice now that Quincy's been called in cold off the bench for various reasons. And both times he came in and did well and helped the team win a game. So that 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 says a lot about where he is mentally. The the fact he's able to stay mentally engaged despite being third string in this day and age of of. Everybody worried about playing time, I'll say, yeah. uh, and everybody hitting the transfer portal at the first sign of adversity. It's pretty refreshing. Um, so to me, I, I'm I'm great with Quincy. I'm good with where he's at. Um, I'm glad to have him on the team. Uh, you know, I, I think the the program needs guys like him, and I, I'm just as high as on his ceiling as I ever was. I mean, look at Hendon Hooker and Braxton Burmeister are good players. So what do you expect? Yeah, and, and Quincy Quincy needs to work on the accuracy of his passing, but you know it's it's a good tight spiral. It's not like it's a wounded duck floating around out there. So sure, just want to give him the credit that was due. Uh, plus one before the break, by the way. I do want to mention the receiving core briefly because the quarterbacks threw well. Only five players caught passes uh, in this game. James Mitchell threw reception, sixty-eight yards, a touchdown. Khalil Herbert two catches for forty-six yards. Uh, Tavion Robinson four receptions, forty yards, and then Trey Turner caught one ball for sixteen yards, and then Caleb Smith had that really big grab and that set up the next play after the review of the touchdown so remember the last podcast i was a little baffled at how caleb smith's playing time just disappeared last year after damon hazelton came back you would have thought he would have played some particularly given the way things went with patterson and grimsley and all those guys and and how a whole bunch of them transferred out you you would have thought that um the coaches would have been locked into the fact that maybe Caleb Smith, number one, he can be productive, and number two, is more committed to the program. I don't want to cast dispersions on Grimsley because he had his own stuff going on. Uh, so, uh, and we talked about Smith in the last podcast, and was, what a great catch. You know, he's got skills and good size. Yep, absolutely. All right, any thoughts on the offense before we transition? Oh, I, I think, think we, we went through everything. well covered it. Uh, you know, I, I still have my concerns about wide receiver depth. Um, Didn't see anything from Hodge and, and Fairs, right? Yeah, you know, we're, and like I said, Virginia Tech is not going to 100% maul everybody up front for 314 yards every yeah, game. Yeah. So at some point, you know, the traditional pass game will have to click in and win us a football game. But again, the, Braxton Burmeister, you know, he practiced all last week. That's why he was a starter. But remember, he was 14 days in quarantine before that. He did not come out of quarantine until eight days ago, last Sunday, yeah. and was out for two weeks before that. So it's not like he had practiced continuously all month. So there was a lot of things in there that would have caused Virginia Tech's passing game to not be quite as clean as it normally would be. So uh, I don't think anybody can have any complaints about game one. 
and I will say that we got information late last week that the number of positive COVID tests on the team is, is much larger than you would have thought. Mm-hmm. So what that means is there's a, a lot of guys who won't even be tested for, you know, however long their 90-day window is. Hopefully there will be fewer positive cases coming in because so many guys already had it, and you won't get that contact tracing blast radius. I think it, it was very important to get this game in. They mm. got it in, and now they can get themselves in football shape and keep going. Yeah, th- we're not going to say they're in the clear, but because there will be some issues here and there pop up. But they should be coming on the downside. Of Correct. It. Yeah. With a, it's, it's all downhill from here. Yeah. Well, the defense was really good on Saturday in Virginia Tech's 45-24 win. We'll talk about it when we come back from this break. You're watching and listening to episode 136 of the Tech Sideline Podcast brought to you by the Fisher Law Firm. If you have received a DUI or other traffic-related offense, the road ahead can seem uncertain. Here at Fisher Law Firm, we have a team that is with you every step of the way. We have the experience that comes along with having defended more than 30,000 criminal and traffic cases statewide and the expertise to get the job done. Call anytime, day or evening, for your free consultation or a complimentary copy of my book. Don't forget to ask us about our free appeal guarantee. To learn how we can help solve your problem, check us out at fisherlegal.com. This is Jonathan Fisher, Class of 98. Let's go Hokies. Welcome back in episode 136 of the Tech Sideline Podcast, recording on Monday morning, September 28th. It's great to have you with us. Evan Hughes, Chris Coleman, Will Stewart, Malcolm Stewart, uh, breaking down Virginia Tech's 45-24 win over North Carolina State to open their season. We spent almost an hour talking about the offense, and there's so much to talk about with the defense in the win. We talked about who was leading them on Saturday, and Ryan Smith, who called a great game. Chris, what's the story here? Is it the defensive line, the amount of sacks that Virginia Tech brought in Justice Reed, or is it Keontae Jenkins and members of the secondary stepping up? Yeah, it's kind of a combination of everything. To me, the story is the lack of coaches that were available, not just during the game, but all week. Um, You know, Bill Terlink was back for the game. Uh, Daryl Tapp was able to be in the booth and quarantine for the game. Those guys were not available to coach all week, though. They were not back until game day. Zach Sparber, the graduate assistant who coached the defensive line during the bowl game last year, was also out. So, in effect, Jared Hewitt... And, and Jack Tyler. and Well, I'm just talking about defensive line right now. Right. Uh, so, in effect, Jared Hewitt was Virginia Tech's defensive line coach all of the last week in practice. A player coach. Um, at from linebacker... A, from a good source. Right. <laughs> At linebacker, we know Tracy Clays at some point last year, that uh, last week they learned he was going to be out. So he was out for at least part of last week. We don't know when Jack Tyler, it was determined he would be out, but he would be the backup linebacker coach to Tracy Clays. As far as I know, there is no backup linebacker coach to Jack Tyler. So it's possible that Virginia Tech went through at least part of last week with Dax Holyfield and Rayshard Ashby basically serving as de facto coaches of the linebackers, unless Justin Hamilton coached both safeties and linebackers at the same time during the course of the week. I I don't know. But it's not just who's missing during a game. It's who's missing during the week. And the fact that they were able to put something cohesive together despite missing all those guys throughout the course of the week is extremely impressive. Yes, so if you want to talk about defensive line... Uh, let's, let's start with the defensive line, and let's start with Justice Reed, because yeah, I, I thought he was one to... of the stories of the game. So uh, you go back and watch Justice Reed's uh, highlights at Youngstown State. I think he had 13 sacks last year. And uh, 
you know, you start to think about the level of competition. But watching his highlights, I did think that there were a few instances where he looked explosive. And that's what I saw on, on Saturday night. There were a couple of plays where, you know, there's that moment where the defensive lineman gets free and, and it's him and the quarterback. And how quickly can he close on that quarterback? Mm. And it, it's all in once once you've shed the blocker, what what is your burst in that in that short area? And I thought he was very impressive a couple of times in, in closing. Um, you know, Hockman's not elusive uh, at all. So it wasn't like Reed had to break down and change direction or anything like that. Um, but uh, it just just covering a lot of ground quickly and taking a guy down before he can get up to speed and get away from him, and that impressed me. You know, this was the first game with no Charlie Wiles as a defensive line coach. Obviously, Bud Foster no longer here. Did you notice anything different schematically with the defensive line or the defense in general in game one? I wasn't so much looking for that, and I'm not an expert in that anyway. Yeah. I'm sure Brandon Patterson will address that later this week when he writes writes an article for us. Um I thought I saw more zone. Like, for example, the uh, the interception that Breon Murray got, that was pure zone across the board. He was just sitting there waiting. Um, maybe that interception doesn't happen last year. But uh, that, that's the one thing I can probably think of is, is, is zone. As far as up front, though, it's, it's, it's hard for me to tell. A couple of stats I want to read off, especially from the uh, defensive line. Again, Justice Reed. Three solo tackles, a total of five, uh, two sacks. Uh, a couple of other notes, Emmanuel Belmar uh, had a good game with uh, four tackles. Uh, Mari Barno had uh, four tackles as well. Uh, but I, I, Again, jumping out of the box score, let's, let's talk about the secondary. Keontae Jenkins, who we've really only been talking about for a week, replacing mm-hmm. Devin Hunter in that rover spot, leads the team in tackles with eight of them. Five assists, three solo tackles. Again, in that rover spot, You've got two true freshmen in the two deep. Chris, how impressive was Keontae Jenkins? In he did game? a good job because uh, he really only got his name called once, and that was for a positive play. That was fairly early in the game when he made that one-on-one tackle yeah, in the flat. Yeah, uh, that was a very, tackle. very impressive play to, to make that tackle in space like that. Um, so that's a very good sign going forward. Um I mean, look, I'm not a safety coach. I'm sure Justin Hamilton will meet with him on Zoom and say, "Here's what you did wrong." Right. Uh, but and, and, and NC State was unable to really stress Tech's defensive backfield. With yeah, you, you know their quarterback play is bad, and their receivers aren't very good yeah. either. Um, you know, so I know somebody who knows somebody on the NC State staff, and this guy basically said we're in trouble this year because our quarterbacks are basically scout team level. Yeah. Like they don't even think Devin Leary's any good. He just happens to be better than, than Hockman. I thought but, he was good. Well, he was good when Tech had packed it in and then the game was over. Hmm. Uh, uh, I think but, he has potential. But he, I don't know. You know, last year, last year he completed 48% of his passes, right? Devin Leary? Devin Leary did. Okay. Yeah. Um, he, he, did well against a depleted secondary that had a 30-point lead, right? Most sure. quarterbacks are going to do well in that scenario. But at any rate, yeah, you know, it's not like NC State is going to challenge you from a passing game standpoint. Now, they do have a good run, good line and good running backs. Um, yeah. And they, they did run the ball pretty well. But, again, what did we just talk about? Um, Virginia Tech, they didn't have a defensive line coach all week. Uh we don't know exactly 
what their coaching situation was at linebacker. Like, even during the game, I have no idea who coached the linebackers during the game, right? Nobody, I assume. Who made decisions to substitute? Right, 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 exactly. So so something I thought about before you get to the next, something I thought about, as much as you want to compliment Virginia Tech for how well they coached in this game, this is a pretty poorly coached game on NC State's part. Um, You know, they, they... I thought they should have clued in pretty early that they should just line up and play smash mouth with Tech. Play to their strengths, play with their running backs, mm-hmm. and try to wear out a Tech defensive line that hadn't played a game yet. Mm-hmm. You know, I think they put too too much on their quarterback. I'm not saying they put a lot, but they probably put too much on him. I just don't think they played to their strengths very well at all. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, again, so Keontae Jenkins was a bright spot, certainly on defense. Will, last week – Chris said that if he could get Divine Diablo to not just be a 10, just be a 7 out there in the <laughs> secondary, I think was one of the, the uh, paraphrasing, but that was the quote, uh, that the secondary would be in good hands. Diablo, six tackles, and an interception. I think he was better than a 7 on Saturday. Is that fair to say? <laughs> yeah, he was good. I haven't had a chance to, to evaluate him in run, in run defense. He graded out well in PFF overall. Did he? Very, very well. He might have been our highest grader on Did defense. He? Um, now, those are pro- early preliminary grades. They'll change between now and Wednesday. Yeah. But the early returns at overall, he, he had a really good game. Good, good. Because because he's he's a big, scary-looking guy, and I've always felt that he could be uh, more of a terror in the running game than he's been. So, uh, yeah, definitely had a good night, and that, that interception was phenomenal. It really was. Jumped the route on a little out route, it looked mm-hmm. like. And, and then had the body control to twist and hold on to the ball. That was a great play. He said after the game, um, when he was with the laser and burn-up, he said, you know, they were in an empty set formation. I, I thought that was the route the guy was going to run. So I jumped it. So, that, so that's good scouting by Tech's defensive yeah. staff. And let's talk, let's talk about the corners here. I want to spend some time. Again, we talked earlier about how Tech didn't have 23 players available on Saturday, uh, one of which was Jermaine Waller. Again, we talked about it last week. We didn't know if he would play. He's been battling that foot injury. Like you said, they had time uh, to work with who they were going to have at the corner spot. But – uh, let, let's talk about Breon Murray with yeah. five tackles and an interception. How pleased were you with what he was able to do as that second corner? I, I, I see plenty of raw ability in Breon Murray, for sure. I, I think he's got some cornerback instincts and looks like he has a chance to be a good player. He's still very, very raw, I th- in my opinion. Um, he was a guy who – he was a Juco, and he left after – he redshirted his first year in Juco. He's a guy I think had to walk on his JUCO team. Like, if you want, if you really want to get down in the recruiting rankings, <laughs> yeah. this is a guy who would have been a zero star recruit as a walk on JUCO player, right? Um, then he played some as more of a safety type as a redshirt freshman, and then he transferred to Tech, so he's a redshirt sophomore last year. I don't think he'd ever been like a full time cornerback before, so he's still pretty raw. He needed spring practice because he's still getting used to the Power 5 level and still getting used to playing cornerback, quite frankly. Didn't get spring practice. We don't know how much he practiced or didn't practice during August. Um, he did nearly give up the deep ball for a touchdown. Um, yeah, Hockman couldn't take advantage of it. Hockman couldn't take advantage of it. But that was more of a uh, – that, and that's what I said. I said last week I was concerned about Tech and zone coverage if, if they hadn't been able to practice as much. Zone is something – it's kind of like playing quarterback and wide receiver. The timing has to be there yeah. when you're passing off guys and coverage and things like that. And, and that was a zone coverage mistake. The, so that's a worry early in the season. If Virginia Tech was straight up man-to-man like they were a lot under Bud Foster the last few years, you wouldn't have that worry because man-to-man coverage 
it's easy from a mental standpoint. Yeah, against UNC, yeah. that's a touchdown. Yeah, right, right, exactly. So I'm impressed with Murray. I think he has talent, but I still think those still think he's a little bit raw and uh hopefully he stays healthy and continues to get a lot of reps because I do I certainly think he has potential as a player. Yeah. Awesome. The break on the break on the interception was smooth. Man. Yeah, it was. Yeah. Really was. And he almost had one later in the game where he broke on the ball. Yeah. Almost Co- came up with it. Yeah. A couple of cornerbacks. I mean, again, that really, Devin Taylor, the transfer. Uh, uh, he had a kind of a rough night, but again, he got here really, really, really late, and we don't know how much he was able to practice and blah blah blah. <laughs> uh, you know, <laughs> I, I, we're going to use that qualifier with everybody, right? But I mean, it's true. Uh, the guy whose name we didn't call all night was Armani Chapman, and that's great. Yeah, that's yeah. great. It means he locked down his side of the field. You know, the defense had to be tired going to the sidelines a lot because they were working hard. They were probably drinking a lot of water. And uh, there is a great <laughs> cup on our set plug. right now. It's time for another sponsor promo. We have a great Yeti cup. Uh, Virginia Tech Yeti here as Will's going to pick it up. The Actually, old the school Yeti, VT Yeti logo. Look yeah. at that. Will, tell us a little bit about So this what, is from Campus Emporium, and it's very cool. It does have the old school uh, VT logo. So let me let me read this. It's called their Virginia Tech powder coated vault tumbler. Vault is the term that I believe Virginia Tech uses for stuff with the retro logo. It's not just Campus Emporium thing. So so if you go to Campus Emporium and search on vault, you'll you'll get stuff with all the old logos on it, which is really cool. Uh, so let's see what can I tell you about this 30 ounce. They also got it available in 20 ounce. It's cool as heck. I'm not going to drink from it because this I have to return to them. <laughs> so I don't want to stick my mouth on it. Uh, 32.99, and I will put the link that will take you directly to this in the uh, YouTube description of the video. But like I said, if you go to the if you like the retro stuff and you go to Campus Emporium's website and just search on Vault, you know you've got a lot of stuff to pick from there. So. This thing's really cool. Yeah, absolutely. I might go look into that myself. And yeah. that shirt that you had on last week as well, the uh, the uh, Hawaiian the Columbia, looking, the Columbia Camp shirt is what that was called. Yeah. yeah. Wait until next week when we promote the tack shaver on the show. <laughs> We're going to go underwater with the tack shaver. <laughs> <laughs> and figure out whether that that's actually a true statement. <laughs> <Ouch>. <laughs> Can't wait for that. All right, let's wrap things up. We're running a little over here, but I do want to spend a couple of minutes on the linebacking core. Dax Hollyfield tied for second in tackles with Alan Tisdale. They both had seven. Uh, Dax came on a third down blitz, was credited with a half of a sack. Rayshard Ashby only six tackles, but he did have a sack. Linebacking core, this is an experienced group. Thoughts on week one for them? Oh, it's so hard to say. Tisdale started at backer. I was a little bit surprised. Dax also played. I I need to get on PFF for my Inside the Numbers article this week. That'll be part of that. I'm going to break down numbers there, who played the most snaps, Yeah, so et cetera, you want to talk about content coming up this week. We're going to have some great content. Yeah. Uh, got to figure out when I'm going to run it all. Good gracious, because it's a lot. It's our managing uh, editor. Hard yeah. <laughs> it's hard at work. Yeah. Um, linebacker play in general, though. Like I didn't think Ashby had his best game, but – Ashby was out for 10 to 14 days at one point. And then when he came back, again, we don't know if he actually had a coach. So it's kind of hard to judge there either way. All, bottom line is I completely trust Rayshard Ashby to be a really good middle linebacker for Tech. Yeah. When he's healthy and in the groove and he's always coaches there there and everything like that. So uh, I, I, I didn't see anything. I didn't see anything to worry me. I'll I put thought the timing way. of the blitz calls was excellent. I agree with that. Yeah. 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 
Um, I actually completely agree on the the uh, the Dax Hollyfield blitz. I thought was a perfect time. Uh, yeah, um, you know they they brought Keonta Jenkins at one point, and he was he got to the quarterback and was smart enough to pull up. Like a lot of guys would have just gone right in there and gotten a rough and pass rough in the passer penalty. Uh, I think they blitzed Brian Murray one time even. Uh, so yeah, I think the timing was good. They mixed up the variety of blitzes and everything like that. So it'll be interesting to to read about what Brandon Patterson says about it because he he's going to notice certain things that you know us regular humans can't. Regular folks won't notice. Yeah. Love it. Uh, last note, and then we're going to wrap things up. Special teams. Brian Johnson felt like a couple of years ago was a little bit of a slow start to his career. He nails a forty-nine I, yarder and a forty-six yarder I, and a twenty-nine yarder. I, I, I wish I had the stats because I put it in my special teams preview. But it was something like kicks beyond forty yards. Early in his career, he was like he was almost over. He was almost pretty much over. Yeah. And then starting with the Notre Notre Dame game last year, I think he's almost a hundred percent from and and that includes one or two from like beyond fifty. So it's like he goes. It's like night and day. You rarely see that kind of change in a player. Mm-hmm. Like overnight, he goes from not being able to make a kick at all beyond 40 yards to now making every single Down one of them. the middle would have been good from 55. Yeah, exactly. Um, um, just so, incredible. So at one point, yeah, as I, as I was painting my kitchen, I heard the announcer say something like 13 in a row, and I thought, oh, i got to go look that up. He's made a bunch of kicks in a row, so I'll have that in Monday. I wonder if the last on. one he missed was the North Carolina game in overtime. Uh, could be. That, would have been that was the week before that would have Notre been Dame. In October? Yep. Yeah. Yeah, I'll go, yeah, I'll go yeah. look that up, and I'll run well, the stats Yeah, it was, it was Notre Dame when the big – the the streak started with the long kicks because yeah. I remember being impressed because you know it was cold and, and windy that day and I'm like uh, it's beyond forty it's cold and windy there's no way he's gonna make this kick and he did yep. and he did and he had I don't think he's missed one since gentlemen I apologize we are over an hour uh, by a good measure but there was just so much good to talk about this week and it just felt so good to talk about a football game and a uh, a forty five twenty four win for Virginia Tech. We're going to have another podcast later in the week to preview the Duke game. Duke is 0-3 on the season, lost to Virginia. Uh, I think their their quarterback has thrown two touchdowns and six interceptions and is barely completing 50% of his passes. Yeah, he's the transfer it's, from it's, Clemson. It's, it seems like this year in the ACC, you've either, you've either got really good quarterback play or really bad quarterback play. I think and, you've either got, in the case of Clemson and maybe in Miami, you've got really good teams, mm-hmm. then you've got a bunch of good teams, then you've got a bunch of bad teams. I, I agree with that 100%. What? There mm-hmm. doesn't seem to be a lot of average in the ACC. You're either – I mean, there's Clemson, and then the, I think there's a few teams you can say are very, very good, and there's like five teams at the bottom that are just like bad. Yeah, like I, I can't decide which is the worst team in the ACC, <laughs> like Florida State or oh you know, whoever. Oh, my gosh, Florida I guess, State. I guess yeah. it's Florida oh. State. But it, it might be Duke. Duke actually might be the worst team in the ACC. I think across the board they're actually solid, but they don't have anything at wide receiver anymore, and their quarterback is so bad. Yeah. There, there's The feelings going into this year's Duke game, is just so different than the feelings going into last year's Duke game. Yeah, you actually picked. Duke I picked us to lose because 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 Duke had, Duke had looked good, pretty good the first few few weeks of the season, and we had looked terrible. So I picked Duke to win the game. Yeah, and I don't feel that way at all this year. I think they look bad, and yeah, I think so we look good. <laughs> Syracuse, Duke, um, NC State, and Wake are, mm-hmm. are all pretty bad. I think. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure. Uh, um, I'm not. There's a team that uh, I'm Virginia not sure might about. be average. Yeah. Um, oh, Boston College might might be kind of average, ah, they, be- better than you'd think. They, 
I, I would have agreed with that before this past weekend. And uh, what they, happened this past weekend? Oh, they were down by two touchdowns late to Texas State and almost lost. Uh, they, okay. I they, they had to kick the game-winning field goal with like three seconds left. Yeah. Yeah. All right, anyway. Anyway. A- interesting discussion, and I also think we could talk about a different time. Pitt, I was very proud of my prediction. They did beat Louisville. I think the Panthers 3-0. and And then uh, the U, now inside the AP Top 10. Are they really? Put a hurting on Florida State. I don't know what that means. But anyway, <laughs> ACC is all over the place. Not, I wish we played Florida State. Gosh. Every well, week. <laughs> well, we got Duke this week. You know, Trey Turner tweeted yesterday, a year ago today. He was tweeting about how – I think it was either today or yesterday. I forget which day. But he was tweeting that a year ago was the Duke game. So, it's yeah. on their mind. Uh, I, I, got, the I got the reminder. I got the picture on Facebook today of me tailgating with Andrew Jones, the former Brave center wow. fielder. I got that this morning when I woke up, and I'm like, oh, yeah, it's just been a year since the Duke game. Oh, yeah. gosh. Well, listen, we're well over an hour. This was fun. It was so great to be back uh, talking about a Virginia Tech game. Uh, we spent the last six months on podcasts just trying to, you know, get to this point. To get, to, get to this point, exactly. <laughs> so it's great to be back. Um, and uh, as I always do, to close it, Chris, we just kind of alluded to it. What's coming up on TechSideline.com this week? Oh, we got part two of J Rob. Corey's already sent that. I've got to decide when to run it. We got Great stuff. We got Brandon Patterson. If I have time to write an inside the numbers column, we'll have that. We'll have probably four more articles from Jake Jake Lyman, Corey Van Dyke. We'll have uh, the Tech Talk Live notes. We'll have a game preview. We'll have another podcast. We'll have another Brandon Patterson article previewing Duke. We'll have a Friday Q and A. We'll have two Jason Stam articles. Goodness. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna have to cut something out, man. I don't. Well, know. I told you I'd help stuff. you edit that stuff. Yeah, I know. <laughs> um, so, but I got to write my own article. You got to write your own. Or, oh, oh, yes, and we'll have Monday thoughts. I forgot about that. Yeah, but by the time people hear the podcast or see that, the video, it'll true. probably already yeah, be up. That's true. So, d- if you're watching on YouTube, don't forget to so, hit, hit like and give us a thumbs up. And so, subscribe. in short, a lot is coming up this week and every week throughout the course of the season. Eight forty nine a month, gang. Hop on board. Hokies are 1-0. We try and go 1-0 every day here at Tech Sideline. That'll do it. Episode 136 of the Tech Sideline podcast. Special thanks to the best producer in the land, Malcolm Stewart. Behind the scenes, he's Chris Coleman, our managing editor, our founder and general manager, Will Stewart. I'm your podcast host, Evan Hughes, saying so long. Thanks so much for watching and listening to episode 136 of the Tech Sideline podcast, brought to you by the Fisher Law Firm. Have a great week, Hokies.